0: hello and welcome to do the franchise with me jake and me james and it's new year james we're back it's 2021 the first episode of 2021 start of a new series it's so cool because
1: 20 and 21 are numbers that follow on from each other. So it feels natural to, to start a brand
0: new series. Yeah. I like this thing. Everyone's been saying that 2021 is going to be really different to 2020. I'm like, well, it's got less zeros in it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's got more interesting numbers. Yeah. So that's good. (laughs) Uh, So we thought we'd start 2021 by doing something a little different as a feature so basically james and i have decided on a feature for each maybe every series or every time we restart and do a new franchise we're going to do a director or auteur uh, or filmmaker and i thought we'd call it director's cut so this is kind of the first director's cut and it's a very rough episode because we've never done any of these before so this is an experiment in of itself james i think it's quite exciting to do something brand new for the brand new year I like the idea that this is exclusively a rough episode, whereas most of our episodes are also quite rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 ex- they're distinguished and polished <laughs> compared to this episode, I tell you. Um, so with the first episode, and you guys have probably seen the title already, um, we are going to be doing the director and filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I always think I spell say that wrong. Is it Shyamalan or Shyalamalan? <laughs> I don't know what the last one was so it's probably the first one <laughs> cuz I did that thing that we did with Alfonso Queron where I had to break it down and get Siri to tell me what it was so I could hear it. So oh, dear. well I have an interesting fact about his name later
1: I'll tell you. Oh okay. So, uh, yeah. Do you
0: not want to you not want to lead with that? Are you happy to to oh, tell what? me later?
1: Well I can we can leave with it now because Knight isn't actually a name he was given at birth. So he oh, okay. he chose Knight. Uh, um, I think it was in high school. He started just putting Knight in the middle of his name. That's funny. So yeah. I think he thought it sounded cool. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've looked
0: on his bio online. Uh, he was born Manoj uh, Neliatu Shyamalan, um, and he is an Indian American. Um, born I. Th- think in india yes born in india but nationality american and obviously he still would have held his his ill-held an indian passport i imagine as well yeah um he's 50 years old james um educated at new york university filmmaker philanthropist actor and active from 1992 um i love Knight. i think his films are they're they're diverse i think is probably the best way of describing them right Definitely, definitely. I mean,
1: to the point where you ha- you have films that he's made that his name isn't attributed to. Mm. Uh, uh, After Earth um, was his film, but his name was nowhere on any of the uh, promotion material.
0: Is that right? I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know he didn't have his name anywhere apart from uh, in the credits and that kind of thing.
1: I think because he's so diverse, he's also had a, a weird <clears throat> run of amazing films followed by a, a fairly long run of films that didn't get, that well received Uh, and I think um, After Earth was that Will Smith project uh, Mm. and they were worried that associating with Knight would uh, ruin the box office efforts of that film which tanked anyway (laughs) so some people reckon it might have been better (laughs) to have had Knight's name attached to it Um, but yeah it's uh, yeah that was one film where he didn't put his name on the film or it wasn't put on the film
0: so it's it's interesting it's an interesting concept because they don't they do that a lot with like Spielberg don't they like Back to the Future as always Spielberg presents as Robert Zemeckis film or it would be like Gremlins a Steven Spielberg film directed by Joe Dante you're like well that's not his film then is it (laughs) yeah he's just produced it
1: it's it's so I I think a lot of things that uh, Knight does mirror Spielberg and he Mm. quite likes Hitchcock as well so there's a lot of cool sort of uh big influences in his in his movies so yeah i think it's uh it, it's good to make those comparisons because he's he's almost mirrored his film career with those other big directors yeah,
0: yeah and i, I was saying to what i wanted to kind of start with in this episode was that james and i were going to look at for each director special that we do choose five movies from each director's back catalogue and talk really only about those five it doesn't limit us we can talk about his other work i am very keen to talk about the happening however that is not on <laughs> <laughs> that is not on the list um <laughs> but it's uh i thought it'd be really cool to start with what i would call as the top five work our way backwards like we did with our christmas episode um how do you feel about that james yeah that sounds like a, a good place to start it gives people a, a
1: good sort of jumping on point if you've not seen any of Knight's films um th- these should be the like the essential viewing and then you can go off and explore things like the happening and the last airbender or don't if you want to suffer you can explore those films uh so yeah but no these these are the films that are obviously recognized as his his better ones anyway but yeah hopefully we'll be able to tell you
0: why there will be some spoilers Probably. Yes, always spoilers in these episodes. I think it's fair to say as well, James, as I said at the beginning, his career has kind of been one of. Um, he's a master filmmaker, and he's a, he's very good at building suspense. He 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 enjoys dabbling in that, like you say, that Hitchcockian style of um, of suspenseful cinema, yeah. to the to the border where you you blur the lines between what is a thriller and a horror, or what is conventionally something like science fiction, fantasy, and reality. Like, none yeah. of his films go too far to one end of the spectrum. And I've always found that, in, and especially in the five films that we're going to talk about, that he doesn't ever allow us to deviate too much from reality that we can suspend disbelief and i mean that in a way of we watch star trek and we can tell straight away this is a fantastical world that we could never live in but we can we can participate in it as an audience and follow it through and enjoy it but these films have always got a real sense of the world they're in could be plausibly related to ours
1: Definitely, And I think that's in some way why some of his films haven't done so well commercially, because mm. he got pigeonholed early on as like a horror suspense guy. Yeah. And some of his films were then advertised like that, but yeah. they really weren't, So, which we'll go into more in detail when we talk about like, the films. But yeah, some of the films were, people were expecting it to be a suspense horror follow-up to his last suspense horror follow-up. And in fact, he'd done what Spielberg does, which is apply great filmmaking techniques to different genres but have like that cohesive feeling like a Spielberg film always feels like a Spielberg film even if it's yeah. you know you, you don't imagine necessarily Indiana Jones fighting a T-Rex but mm-hmm. it, it could happen <laughs> so you know it's it's got the it, it's got the those cohesive holes um and I think that's what M Night Shyamalan
0: does really well mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Do you want to start with number five? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in at number five, I thought we'd start by talking about a little film uh, from 2004 called The Village. Yes. Written and directed by Knight himself, uh, starring Jacqueline Phoenix, Adrian Brody, Bryce Dallas Howard, William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver. I mean, it's a great cast. (laughs) It's a massive cast. It's, it's huge. It, I think because this was coming off the back of
1: three really successful films, almost consecutively year on year, Yeah, uh, he'd done some great films. Um, and this sort of links into what we were just talking about, where it was hard for them to sell this film, to promote this film, because mm. it, it didn't follow, in a lot of ways, the same sort of topics that he'd looked at in previous films. Yeah, yeah the, the, it almost it, and, feels
0: like you wait. You are waiting for the big bad plot twist, yeah. and actually, what we're getting in this film is more of a concept.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was watching because I watched the films and I was looking around at different people reviewing these films, and mm. um, I think it was a, a YouTuber called Chris Stuckman who said that it was you know sold as a creature horror film, but it turned out to be a romance. And it's yeah. like that. That actually, yeah, that. That's where the disappointment came from for a lot of people, I think, was that they went in expecting a film, didn't get that film, so they left disappointed. So it didn't get great reviews. But I think if you look back at The Village now,
0: knowing what it is and accept it for the film that it is, it's actually very good. I agree with that. I think that's absolutely spot on. I mean, for anyone that hasn't seen The Village... um... It's a film about a village that's uh, 19th century Pennsylvania. A lot of his films are Pennsylvania, I think. (laughs) I just (laughs) realized this. Uh, And they live in a little society whose mantra or religion is a fear of the people, those we do not speak of who are basically these creatures that live in the woods around the village and they are kind of keeping the villagers in their little town and you can't stray too far from the village without being attacked by one of these creatures. So like you said, James, it sets up this this science fiction aspect of, oh, okay, so it's a proper 19th century witch hunt story kind of with monsters in the woods. Um, but as you said, it it isn't that and it is, again, not to spoil it too much, but it it centers around an idea and the idea is yeah. can a society live in the woods in their own village um, away from 21st century mankind and live peacefully without straying away or discovering that they're actually not in the time that they've been told they're in um, yeah it's a slightly convoluted way around it but yeah <laughs> i no, that's spot on because it, it at the
1: time it probably seemed really weird and random when this film came out that that yeah. would be a plot point but if you take it now in the current climate, where you have politicians in America who believe that Jewish space lasers caused fires, mm. <laughs> the, the yeah. idea that you know uh, a, a president can sell a big lie that they lost an election and thousands of people, millions of people believe him, mm-hmm. this doesn't seem that weird anymore. This, no, this I agree. Seems like it could, you know, it could happen. This this becomes less fantasy and more. Almost like Blair Witchy, mm, yeah. In the fact that it, you know it could be, it's not a found footage film, but it it could have that.
0: Con- you know, it could happen in
1: that context.
0: Yeah, so, and yeah. it's that thing of it. It's a. I always think this film more than any of his other films, and I think you might understand what I mean by this more than some of the listeners. It felt to me very much like the kind of film that a a very nerdy and. Um, <laughs> a very misunderstood auteur film student might have written and tried to make in his third year at uni. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's not helped by the fact that... Um, I'm going to be
1: using up all my five facts here at this rate, but yeah, please um, do. Uh, M. Night does cameo in a lot of his films, like yeah. Hitchcock did, and his cameo in this film is just full-on exposition. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's not the best bit of cameo work he's ever done um, and i think that's what gives it that almost amateur storytelling feel is that it's very much uh tell 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 and very little mm. show and yeah. um the i think so, in some ways the twist uh especially about the creatures is ruined because the, that's revealed too early so mm almost before you meet the creatures properly the main character's told yeah that it's just us it's just the elders don't yeah. worry it's fine and then there's that suspenseful bit or should be suspenseful bit where uh Bryce Dallas Howard and Adrian Brody are in the woods yeah but you already know at that point that it's Adrian Brody Or well, well there'll be one of the elders yeah so it loses some of that suspense that
0: yeah in his other films. Up giving up the giving up the the prize too early I always mm-hmm. felt with the village when I've watched it since and I haven't actually watched it recently I watched it about a year or so ago but the last time I saw it I remember wondering does the plot twist as it stands, as Knight's films often have, does this plot twist come too quickly? And I think in this film, yes, it does. I think you get an idea that's really well developed and really wonderful, um, stretched out by what I can honestly say is some really lengthy and, and very badly spaced out and worded dialogue that doesn't really work. But Mm. it's a very thing of Knight where his dialogue can be a little bit too, I don't even know what the word is, self-indulgent, maybe like, yeah. Uh, tarantino Tarantino's guilty of this and a lot of people criticize me for saying that but I always find that his dialogue is so self-serving and self-indulgent that I can't stand to listen to it. <laughs> so <Yeah>. I often <laughs> like just fast forward through some of the scenes. But um the village has got that thing where you're like is that going to be the- oh that that would be a good plot twist. I wonder if that's the plot twist. Oh, I think that is the plot twist oh, that is the plot twist. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I felt it had that to it, that it didn't give me enough because I'd already figured out what the twist was going to be kind of thing. Do you know what it, I mean? It, it, yeah, I think
1: that's what did for this film in a way because it is a, a, a sort of hallmark, a bit like the Marvel mm. films always have a post-credits scene. Yeah. It was expected that M. Night Shyamalan films will always have a, 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 a plot twist. That, yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily see coming whereas I think this one was televised a bit more in terms of you, know, you, you they, they let you know that there was going to be a plot twist and mm. then they followed that up with a different plot twist so it was like it, it was sort of two weaker plot twists rather than I one agree. big one yeah. Um, yeah, and some of the, the, the <coughs> plot twists in his other films enhance the scenes previous to the plot twist mm. so you can watch a film like Sixth Sense for example which I know we're going to talk about a bit more, but you watch that mm. film, after the plot twist, you go back and watch it
0: again. The plot twist in that film doesn't break any of the previous scenes. No, Is it worth saying to the audience listening as well that the twist in this film is indeed that the village is in the 21st century and they're just pretending that it's... (laughs) Because I felt like we've said the word plot twist so much that people might lose sight of what we're on about. Uh, It's not a real village. It's not a real village. (laughs) If you've watched the film, it's
1: almost like M. Night... Complains about how labour-intensive this plot <laughs> twist is in in as his character yeah. in the film because he talks about how he's had to you know negotiate with airports so planes don't fly. I over. I love and that. Things bit. Like. I know. <laughs> it's like
0: there's no way that there's no way that even if a plane doesn't fly over your village that you don't understand planes exist because. <laughs> I'm, there's many a plane from Manchester Airport that fly around Sheffield as a city, which yeah. I live in. And I can hear a 747 flying around Sheffield in the clouds. I don't have to see it. I just know it's up there because I can hear it grumbling away. It's sky monsters, Jake. Sky I'm monsters. Sky monsters, yeah, you're right, um, sorry. But the, well, the, can I just the... say really quick, before we go on, like really quick, and I only found this out yesterday. The DOP on this film, the Director of, uh, director of Photography... It was Roger Deakins, James. Roger Deakins, one of the most esteemed and most celebrated Academy Award winning cinematographers of all time, um, was the DOP on this. Brilliant. I couldn't believe it. I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't know that. And it is a beautiful film to watch, so it does make sense. And a great film to
1: listen to as well. The soundtrack. Mm. It's the same guy that did the soundtrack for Unbreakable. I forget his name. Mm. Um, but I made a note that the the sound design in it as well, like the the sound of the trees in the woods when you're in the woods, really atmospheric. So, oh, in yeah. terms of yeah. the 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 process of making the film, this is probably as close as a suspenseful romance film comes to being a Michael Bay film Mm -hmm. (laughs) just because like the production value is top notch but the actual content like a Michael Bay film very bottom of the barrel stuff it doesn't always hit Michael Bay films
0: never have the greatest script that's what I always think but yeah do you want to uh I've got nothing else I can really say about this film Um, no I think it's good to move on yeah, I'm happy to move on. I did put in my notes, um, it's a film that deals with an idea. And ideas are great, but it always feels to me that this is written by someone in year 11 at school trying to show off how mysterious and interesting they are. <laughs> like you said, it does very quickly become a love story between um, Bryce Dallas Howard's character and um, what's his name? Yacquan um, Phoenix's character. Yeah. At the core of it, that's more of the story, isn't it? than than the uh, Than the village itself. It's very emo. It is emo. That's <laughs> Which... a very good word. <laughs> Anyway, From, in at number four, in at number four, Jake, <laughs> Unbreakable, James, Unbreakable. Unbreakable.
1: Oh, this is great. This is almost like a segue because we just mentioned the soundtrack. Um, yeah, yeah. I I love Unbreakable. I I, agree. I think it's a film that's really stood up. Uh, when you consider it was a superhero film before the whole superhero mm. uh, yeah. you know mania that happened. It came out the same year as the first X Men film, I think.
0: Yes, I had that written down in my notes as well, which is funny. It came out in two thousand, didn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, the year two thousand. Uh, so, for a twenty-year-old film that it predates films like Man of Steel, where Man of Steel tries to be a you know a gritty uh, mm. sort of grounded version of a superhero film. Yeah, this, Batman Begins. This
0: did it first. It did. Yeah, uh, it's a wonderful
1: it, film. It's brilliant, and it. Um, watching it again, the things I love the scenes, when, the way they're filmed there's lots of long single takes that apparently he designed to look like uh, comic book panels so it, yeah. when, you, when you're watching a scene, there's not lots of cuts between characters, you know, you don't get over the shoulder shots between a lot of characters a lot hmm. of the time it's just a wide
0: shot of two characters talking, and it's, it's brilliantly done um, yeah, I went. I went back and watched this recently, and it is. It it's a beautifully shot film. It's very dark. It's got a very unusual tone to it, which again I think is one of those. It's for me. It's probably the most night film that he's made. Yes. for himself. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I had to really think about a film that stylistically and and uh, in the context of the characters, the drama, the story, the ideas, the the way it's shot, the way it's framed, it it is his film it's it's his style being poured out on the screen in a in the most beautiful way that he can really yeah and like you say it deals with the idea of if anyone hasn't seen this listening to it uh, a man uh, who played played by bruce willis uh, whose character name i've forgotten is it david david something david dunn yeah uh he is a former football player who is in a train crash and despite everyone in the train dying he comes out of this train crash unscathed with not yeah. a mark on him and quickly discovers with the help of his son um that he cannot be killed and cannot be hurt and he has super uh, superhuman strength and that then comes from his kid and you know his inner his inner demons and everything that they've been through he tries to kind of teach his dad to be a superhero because he said you know you're one of those people that's got these powers that only happen in comic books uh, and then we enter the character of Elijah Price, played by Samuel L. Jackson, yes. who is a comic book mad uh, fanboy, yeah. who has a brittle bone disease where his bones are basically made of glass and yeah. they always break as soon as he like bangs into something. Yeah, uh, and, it's, and a real, he's it's a real. a real this idea, isn't he? Is it really?
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a, So a, a, I was reading this up. It's a. It's a real disease. Um, so it exists in the world. So that helps ground it again. Mm. uh it helps you start to think that you know th- this is real and th- these two roles apparently were written with Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis in mind so m night wrote the film based on those actors being in those roles
0: which i love cuz they're perfectly written for them it is it it's a strange strange film but i feel that it's probably aged better than all of his films do you know what i mean by that like yes as a as a standalone piece i think it's aged better than all the other ones we're going to talk about and it doesn't need to be updated or or thought of too much because it works in the product of its time that it's in yeah and i just think that that idea of the it's basically Samuel L. Jackson's characters obsessed with the idea of the superhero and the supervillain and how they counteract each other. Yeah. And like you said, James, it just deals with that silly concept of the, of the comic book genre, but in a way that has never been done before. And it's probably never really been done since.
1: Yeah. Well, it it is basically it's Superman, but if Superman didn't know he was Superman. Yeah. That makes sense. So he's, he's discovered that he's got these powers much later on in life. Uh, yeah. there's really cool little subtle things as well uh, with color. I, I noticed as I was watching it. So uh, Bruce Willis's character, uh, there's always lots of green in the shots with mm. him in, and obviously um, Elijah Prince, uh, Samuel Jackson's character, has lots of purple. Yeah, in his. Purple. so you've got you've got and, and they and it's not just the clothing they wear; it's the it's the scenes they're in are covered in this color, and it's it's really clever the way he's made this sort of differentiation between the good and the bad character without actually throughout the film it doesn't that doesn't really come across until the famous Shyamalan plot twist yeah Uh, because one of David Dunn's powers is he he can sense when someone's going to do something bad when he touches them yeah when he touches them and it's not until the very end of the film where he touches Elijah Prince and the whole film makes sense at that stage
0: yeah, so Prince in this film, he's he is the one who orchestrated the train crash in order for what he called like the Messiah character, the the Superman, to reveal yeah. himself to the world. So he wants he wants David Dunn to reveal his power, doesn't he, to the world and yeah. be aware of it himself. And it wasn't
1: even just David Dunn, was it? Because it it's revealed that he actually orchestrated multiple accidents mm. all around the world. Trying to yeah. find this one person, so he wasn't even sure that it would yeah. be David Dunn that is the is the hero. The but so yeah. he he just you know basically scatter shot all across the world, different accidents, trying to find his sort of equal opposite. You know he's breakable; he needs to find the unbreakable person. I, I, mm-hmm. It's it's really sinister when you see it like that. Yeah, um, and uh, that that's when it, it it's because up until that point he's almost been a um a guide hasn't he he's, he's almost yeah. been a, someone that david can go to talk to about a help this. Yeah, yeah about
0: the comic book world yeah about the hero the hero archetype i think it's just such a clever film and i think it it deserves so much more praise than it's had does that make sense like yeah it it, it deserves more accolades than it's had and i think you, you talk to people that have seen films like you go ah oh, Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Oh, no way. Pulp Fiction is my favorite film. Have you seen uh, M. Night Shyamalan? Do you like his work? Oh, yeah. You know, Sixth Sense. It was so good, wasn't it? You know, that twist. And you're like, have you seen Unbreakable? No. Do you know what I mean? And I always find that Unbreakable is like, for me, what Jackie Brown is to the Tarantino world. It's a fantastic film that never gets the credit that it deserves because it's in the shadow of these other films and it kind of gets lost in it a little bit.
1: Absolutely, and it, it's for a film with the star power that it's got in it, it is so little known by a lot of people. Mm. Um, it's it's sort of like, a lot of people say, you know, uh, Blade, the original Blade and Blade 2 are yeah. underappreciated superhero films. But Unbreakable is even more <laughs> underappreciated, I think, than, than those films. Um, yeah. and, and as an original idea, it's even more interesting, because it wasn't as far as I know, based on any pre-existing sort of characters, yeah. this is completely M. Night Shyamalan's idea. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, it's, it's it's amazing that it isn't as well thought of, especially as it got two sequels.
0: Yes. And we're going to talk about one of those in a second. Yeah. A nice segue again, James, into I... number, number three in our list of Night's films. It's like we um, planned it. <laughs> <laughs> i know i tried to shuffle things about a bit um number three um is the movie split yeah And i'm gonna get my notes up for this i think it was 2011 was it split let me have a look yes it was sometime was it? after oh, 16 sorry 2016 so we are talking yeah you're talking 16 years after unbreakable hits theaters um that we get split um it's a great film um for anyone yeah. that's not seen split it was advertised at the time as it was never given I don't think when it was released theatrically it was given any tie to the unbreakable movie no. sort of franchise was it as a thing no it was it was very much um just the next
1: sort of M night film it was mm. you know um they they really leaned heavily on the multiple personalities bit rather mm-hmm. than anything supernatural i i yeah. remember seeing the trailers and just thinking oh it's you know it's a kidnapper who's got multiple personalities that's intriguing but it never really lent into anything more than that
0: from what i remember of the trailers and things but which is true it is it is advertised as a thriller i mean this film compared to i think unbreakable was made on about a 60 million dollar budget back in 2000 yeah um (laughs) the budget for this film james is nine million dollars that's brilliant it's really cheap like, and I know, yeah. I know that doesn't sound like something that you go nine million is not cheap, Jake. Like, but it is for a film. For a film, um, and, and it was it was hailed, I think, at the time as not only uh, McAvoy's, you know, outstanding performance. I mean, critics raved about it, yeah. but it also felt like it was Knight's entry back into mainstream cinema in a big way, where he was making another film where everyone was going to go. You have to go and see this film. Which is kind of what happened with with the Sixth Sense back in the '90s. It became that film where if you hadn't seen the Sixth Sense, you were missing out on something. And I think Split has that feel to it. Yeah, I I um I like it because it, it has it has all the
1: hallmarks of a great M Night film, doesn't it? It's got mm. well, it's actually got two twists in it. Um, yeah. So in that way, it's similar to the village in that it's got two twists, but these twists <laughs> land better than the ones in the village, I think. Hundred percent,
0: yeah, I uh, agree.
1: You know, I, I, obviously, we've 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 let people know there's going to be spoilers, but the first one is the idea of one of uh, McAvoy's other personalities is the Beast, and all the other personalities are waiting for the Beast to arrive, and yeah. that the whole film, you think this is just a a psychological episode, but when the beast does come and he has got that extra strength and you know that you know ability to you know i think he gets shot a few times and it's you know it doesn't phase him so it it's at that point you realize he's got superpowers this is different this is this isn't what i was expecting Um, and and then the final twist at the end uh is i don't know do we want to spoil the final twist or should we leave i guess it's fairly obvious now that we've spoken yes. about Unbreakable, but yeah. there, there's a, a, a panning shot in a diner and it's brilliantly done because it's done in a similar way to the way Star Wars introduces characters with theme music and it mm. plays the David Dunn theme from uh, Unbreakable. It's, it's a, a much quieter version of the same music that happens, I think, when he gets out of the swimming pool in, the, in Unbreakable. Yeah. So it sort of foreshadows this, and it turns out that David Dunn's just sat at the end of the uh, of the, the bar, and it's like, oh, this is this is the same world. This is superheroes yeah. do exist, and this is and a it's super related. Villain. Yeah.
0: So I, yeah. yeah, I really liked that twist, and I and I think it's just such a cool concept for a film. And I remember thinking at the time. It was advertised, like you say, as more of a horror thriller. And then when you watch it and you start to realise this is something entirely different, it became a film that you had to go and see. I saw it twice when it came out, and I think I encouraged a lot of people you know, within my circle to go and see it because it was just so unusual. Uh, McAvoy, um, this is great. I've got to read this to you really quick. Yeah. Because McAvoy plays uh, Kevin Crumb, who has 23... Uh, personalities within him uh, each of which are peculiar and posing danger to his captives Uh, and obviously James McAvoy plays several of these characters on the screen even though we're noted to have about 23 of them within him we only see what about nine or ten of them i think in the film yeah Uh, but basically james mcavoy plays 10 different people in this film as it goes on and it is absolutely an astounding piece of work from an acting perspective yeah um but i wanted to just read this out so it says james mcavoy as kevin wendell crumb dennis patricia hedwig barry (laughs) orwell jade the horde and the beast. <laughs> 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 it's just thought it was really funny.
1: Right, oh, <laughs> that is it's such a good a good way of recognizing. it Like you said, an incredible bit of work on McAvoy's part. It's, yeah, it's it,
0: it is a near perfect performance. Yeah, it is. And it's it starts in a way where it's about a girl being kidnapped and it has that sort of almost I'd say ITV drama cliché where it's like, "Oh, this girl's at a party and one of them's on her own. Something's about to happen. A creepy man yeah. in a car pulls up." Where you can kind of see where it's going straight away. But like you say, where we end at to where we begin is such a journey and I love that about it.
1: Yeah. It does what the the good Shyamalan films do in yeah. that it takes you it, it it presents a particular viewpoint and then completely inverts it and it does it at the right time. It doesn't uh, and it changes the way you view the first part of the film, but it doesn't break the
0: first part of the film. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a a good, a good twist. I mean, it's funny as well, while we're on that subject of talking about like return to form uh, after Unbreakable um, and the next one we're going to talk about later, he kind of falls off the radar in a little bit and, and at night makes a um he made a film called the happening in i think 2007 yeah. <clears throat> which when it was advertised its advertising campaign was excellent i mean it really was excellent yeah and i had the poster of it which i think i was given at cinema i had, I had a local cinema i used to go to and i was like a member of the cinema And they used to give us, like, free prizes for being members. And one of those prizes was a huge poster of The Happening, which, my God, I wish I'd kept. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was just, like, an abandoned road with loads of cars and, and loads of things. And then... In the distance, you can see some clouds and it just says at the top, we had no idea it was coming, but now it's here, the happening or something. Do you know what I mean? Like it was one of those and you were like, what the hell is this film going to be about? And everyone was watching it and the trailers had people jumping off of buildings and committing mass suicides. Um, There were people driving their cars into walls and it was this idea that the world is going to be hit by an event that's so devastating that you'll never see it coming. And everyone's like, well, what is it? (laughs) <laughs> and what it was was plants <laughs> it was it was plants plants had had enough plants
1: had... <laughs> and when like,
0: when you watch it now years later and you like you look for the twist but there isn't really a twist it is no. just that's it There's plants and they run away from the wind in the yeah. fin- and it's just awful the screen junkies on youtube uh, a great youtube channel if you don't follow it already they do a happening trailer or like, a, you know, how the happening should have ended kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's it's wonderful, James. It's so funny. And they hailed this film as one of M. Night Shyamalan's greatest comedy films. Yes. Um, which it was never intended to be, but it is a terrible film. And he did one with Paul Giamatti called Lady in the Water. Um, hmm. And then he did The Last Airbender, The Avatar, Last Airbender, which was an anim- a film which was, was it taken from an animated comic? or uh, Sorry, a comic and an animated film that already existed a japanese concept wasn't it
1: yeah and obviously it had like a built-in fan base with lots of expectations and i don't Mm. think it met any of them unfortunately so he'd had a pretty bad run and then started coming out with films like split it's yeah it's great to see someone who's you know obviously not done his best work for a little while come
0: back and do something that absolutely i would say matches some of his best work easily that's why it's at number three it's yeah. so good it's such a good film and if you haven't seen split please go and watch it after this because it's definitely worth a watch and then it sparked the uh the sequel to split which was called glass which we're not going to talk about too much but um i enjoyed glass for what it was i don't think it was anywhere near as good as split Because I feel like that came so far out of left field that it kind of whacked me and knocked my socks off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas once the cat's out of the bag with, with, you know, David Dunn and Glass and and Crumb, you kind of know what to go in for. So in a way, Glass almost became a backseat film that... You could watch it if you wanted to watch it, but you didn't really need to watch it because what you were watching you've already seen. It was very odd like that. Yeah, it was sort of like comparing, uh, like from a Marvel
1: reference, Winter Soldier to Age of Ultron. Mm. Ultron, not a terrible film by any stretch, but certainly not as impressive.
0: Yeah, and you knew that it was going to be a payoff film that had to be made to pay off three characters, and it just felt a little bit meh. Yeah. And I didn't feel like it it needed to have a bigger storyline in it which it it didn't really have. No. Um and it was made on a much bigger budget. It was 20 million dollars uh, compared to its uh, predecessor's 6 million dollars. So a bigger film. Yeah. But yeah. Um I'm not going to talk about that. Let's go on to number 2 James. Number 2. We decided to put at number 2 The Sixth Sense. Ooh. Controversial. controversial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, again, a film we talked about earlier. It kind of took the entire world by storm. I mean, I remember this in the 90s. I'm sure you did. Yeah, uh, Everyone just kind of went crazy for this film. It really went mad, didn't it, at the cinema? Absolutely. This this was a, a film, I think,
1: he, um, he'd written, again, uh, written the character with Bruce Willis in mind. I think, as well, Bruce Willis was a real big champion of... Uh, of night in his early days. Mm. Uh so yeah, uh, a lot of people hadn't really heard of him. Mm-hmm. Uh he he got he'd done a couple of films uh like commercially and he'd written a few screenplays but not done all that much at this stage. Uh so yeah, this was uh th- this was great because it was a horror film um that wasn't just jump scares. You know, the, the stories were horrific, you know, the the characters yeah. were horrific, but it wasn't it wasn't just, you know, ghosts jumping up at you it was it was different i
0: think that's why it did so well yeah it was and it was a creep i mean i don't even know if you'd even describe it as a horror film it's one of those things that again it's kind of confusing it teeters on the edge of being a horror film um but what it really kind of was was it was it was a really clever popcorn movie that you could hide behind your hands a bit And You could also feel emotionally engaged, but at the same time, at the core of it was an idea that was quite sad. It was a sad film. It wasn't scary in the same sense of... I always think of it in the sense of when you think about ghosts as an entity, uh, whether you believe in ghosts or not... Do you associate scary ghosts with the ghost of your nan or your grandfather or your dad or mum? You know, someone that you've lost in your real life. Would you really be scared had they reappeared to you? I wouldn't. I don't don't think you would. But it's that concept of what becomes scary towards what becomes just sad, really. And, And it deals with that really well. And I can tell that when he wrote it and when he's made it, it plays with that concept of... At first, uh, and again, we're trying not to spoil it too much, but if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense, what the hell are you doing here, really? Yeah, Um, (laughs) Where where have you been? (laughs) Um, There's a bit where it's kind of, it starts the film out with him seeing the, the ghosts, and they are genuinely scary because they're seen from Haley Joel Osment's perspective that they appear and they trying to grab him but they're not trying to get him they're trying to ask him for help because yeah. he can see them and then when you start to learn that idea the 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 concept of the film becomes much less scary and again much more touching
1: yeah yeah i think you're right with with it being it's it's sort of sad it's horrifying in in the sadness but it's not a yeah. a, a scare fest um no. and yeah i think there's you can tell this is a lot of people say like the uh when a band releases their first album you've got your entire life to write your first album and then the second album's quite difficult because you you probably only have like six months to write that because there's yeah. an expectation whereas there's no expectation to write the first one you can iterate and iterate and iterate and then finally release it uh, and this you get that impression with this film It was a real labor of love there's Real cool little subtle things in there um, that I only realised after watching, again, it was a a Chris Stuckman review, Mm. um, uh, the the fact that dead people interact with red things exclusively in the film. Mm -hmm. Like there's red in the scene every time there's a dead person in the scene.
0: I and did I, not know that. That's a great fact. And it, it's so cool when you watch
1: back and you think, because there's a scene with like a red balloon, there's red carpets, there's red tablecloths. There's, uh. there's, so there's, there's always something red in the scene. So it's a real sort of detailed shot by shot um, sort of storytelling device. Mm. But it's something that you totally don't see. And again, the 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 twist yeah um some incredible things like um scenes where you the first time you watch it and you expect that bruce willis's character is interacting with other characters it yeah you you then go back and watch and actually no he wasn't talking to that person or he was talking but that person wasn't interacting back with him it's it's so
0: intelligent that that yeah that going back and watching it for like you say catching out the director oh look he did that oh look he picked that up yeah um and he doesn't. <laughs> and... Yeah, he, he doesn't miss a thing. Like, even in the <laughs> dining room scene where Bruce
1: Willis yeah. sits down, he doesn't move the chair. So the chair no. doesn't move back. He just sort of flops into it. Yeah. So he hasn't interacted with the chair either. And you think, God, uh, that's, that is detail. That is, uh, you know, that is sort of
0: Spielberg level detail that he's doing. Yeah. I always remember this film being special because my mum and dad, I think, rented it from Blockbuster. And this is showing my fucking age, isn't it? But, (laughs) like, I remember my mum and dad renting it from Blockbuster and being like, oh, it's this big film that everyone's talking about. I was like, oh, can I watch it with you? And my mum says, I don't think you should be watching it. So I don't know how old I'd have been, probably about 10 or 12 or whatever. And, And she'd be like, it's not really for you. And I think I watched a few minutes of it or i'd come down for a glass of water or whatever and i'd snuck into the room and it was the bit and i this is so funny because i can still remember it it was the bit where the little girl is being poisoned by the mum i think is it it's the mum poisoning the little girl isn't it for some reason i can't remember why now um and she and she comes into the tent with with coal and she starts being sick And I remember just thinking it was really gross and just leaving the room. But (laughs) I didn't really know what I was watching. And then, you know, when your mum and dad tell you later, oh, it's about ghosts, it's about dead people, and it's about this, and you think, oh, who the hell want to watch that? But going back and watching it, and even now watching it as as an adult and appreciating it for its art, it's a great film. It holds up so well. It really (laughs) does. It's just really good. It's 1999, so it's like 23 years ago. Uh, 22 years ago and it it doesn't it doesn't miss a beat still I can still well, I'm just, I got this bit up here while we were t- while we were um, talking and I thought I'd just read this to the um, to the audience that are listening to the listeners uh, so this is a little extract from the script which I think is so lovely and it's a mm-hmm. moment in the film that everyone who knows it will know and if you haven't read, watched the film you probably still know what this is uh, so Cole says to Malcolm to Bruce Willis's character I see dead people what, in your dreams? Shakes his head. While you're awake? Yes. What, dead people like in graves and coffins? No, walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They don't even know they're dead. How often do you see them? I see them all the time. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such a good script. Yeah. Like, and I want to let you read that in a quiet voice. It's terrifying but also yeah. really touching and it and it's just great, and I just think it's such a beautiful oh I just love it <laughs> it, it it's it's world
1: famous for a reason isn't it 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 yeah. made him you know uh a it, big really name. Did. it 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 pushed him to the forefront yeah. um and it enabled him to make bigger budget films after that mm. um and uh, so I guess that's probably another good segue to the next one, isn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, and again,
0: talking of budget, I mean, this was $40 million. It grossed over $673 million. So that's it was insane. a huge financial success. Yeah. Um, obviously catapulted Hayley Joel Osmond to success in other films with Spielberg as well. Uh, Tony Collette is amazing in this film, and she's never, ever really left our screens ever since, has she really? No. I mean, she's been in everything um Bruce Willis, obviously, um he has his ups and yeah. downs, <laughs> but it's Bruce fucking Willis. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I just think it's great. But yeah, I'm gonna put number two aside, and I'm gonna shift us on to 2002, James. Yeah. And I've put this film at number one because it it still holds a place in my heart as one of my favorite, not even like my favorite night films, which it is. I mean, I'm put it at number one, but I'd just say all round it's one of my favourite films of this genre that deals with aliens. Yes. Any guesses of what it is. <laughs> are we talking about signs? We are talking about signs, James. Absolutely. I've put signs at number one. I hope you agree, and I hope the listeners agree to the extent I'm gonna try and justify it. Um this I, was I,
1: I think this is justifiable, definitely.
0: Yeah. It's such a great film. Um, now, Signs is not an alien film, even though it's an alien film. And this is the thing I love about it most, is that it did that thing you said earlier, where you you put a marketing campaign out to put an expectation into people's minds that you're going to go to the cinemas and watch an alien invasion film. Yeah, And what this film is, is its core is a film about family about tragedy and about a man who has had his faith tested. Um, Bruce, Sorry, not Bruce Willis, I'm going mad. Uh, Mel Gibson plays a priest called Graham Hess, who uh, was a priest uh, until his wife is killed in a tragic accident and then loses his faith and renounces his faith as as a Christian man and a uh, pastor and and stops being a priest. And then gets mixed up in this world where aliens have made crop circles in his uh, in his garden yeah and they are coming to earth uh, or so people believe some people do some people don't and this film is about that struggle between do people just see signs in the world or do people just get lucky or is it divine intervention and yeah. the, the the idea is just so simple and i think it's really effective it, it's it's brilliantly made it's like it's <clears throat> I went back and I
1: watched this, and this sort of takes you back because obviously, for for a long period, you know there were, there were uh M Night films that you you couldn't really say wholeheartedly that this is a good film. You could say it's yeah. got good moments, but this was one of the the last times where it was, I would say, universally given credit for being a really great film. At this point, yeah. Night could do no wrong, and at the yeah. same time. It, I think it was at the tail end of when Mel Gibson could do no wrong.
0: Yeah, it, know, was. It, it was. It yeah. was.
1: It was probably one of the last films where you could say, without knowing anything about Mel Gibson's personal views, I yeah. like Mel Gibson as an action star, and yeah. or I and, and as a character actor. Because I think a lot of people, you know, they they think Mel Gibson, they think Lethal Weapon, but this yeah. this was a guy who who did Hamlet and things like that on, mm. on the big screen. You know, he he is a a great character actor despite Mm. his horrendous personal views uh so so in this film
0: it's probably one of my favorite mel gibson performances just i think you're right i think i i completely agree with everything you just said um like it's it's such an understated and beautiful performance i think you get that from both mel gibson um and from yakun phoenix who we get that from him anyway i think he's are given their two names that if you put them in a film you know what you're gonna get and what you get in this film is quality and it is just astounding now the film starts with this idea of um there's a farmhouse it's in pennsylvania we don't know anything about this man and yet we know he's got kids his brother lives with him and then they find a huge crop circle has appeared in their back garden in their farm in their crops and that's how it starts, it's just that's it, and then it unfolds folds as to what do you believe do you believe these are aliens making these or are they people which has always been a debate and obviously now we've it's pretty much been debunked. i'm not going to say it hasn't been debunked it's been debunked it's definitely not aliens because they don't exist sorry um oh, <laughs> what i nearly just did ruined there... <laughs> ruined some people's lives out there i know uh, what, what i nearly did there say... is i said i don't know whether or not they figured out whether they were made by people or whether they were made by aliens they definitely weren't made by aliens they've been Improvements have been made by people.
1: Yeah, in fact, a a cool little fact for the film: all the signs, all the crop circles, they were real. They were made. They weren't CGI. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, apparently, M Night doesn't like using CGI if he can avoid it.
0: Yeah. So. Well, that's evident in a lot of his films, isn't it? yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah, these were. These these crop circles were definitely man-made, because <laughs> they were <laughs> made for a film. <laughs> they were made for the film, but they were actually yeah physically created in real life. They weren't you know computer generated, so I think yeah. that's quite cool.
0: They said in the film, don't they, that the uh, aliens of this film make the crop circles as a way of coordinating their attack efforts or whatever. Uh, if you look at the poster for Signs, there's a wonderful poster for it with the crop circle in. Full view, and then it yeah. kind of goes up towards the field up to the house. And um, it's got like it looks like a little posh alien arrow kind of pointing at the house. They're <laughs> going, There they are, they're in at- there.
1: Attack this house,
0: uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, uh, yeah.
1: But I, I think, um, actors wise, you've got amazing performances all round. Um, mm. at night, at this point in time was choosing really great kid actors as well something that he yeah, was well known for for choosing really appropriate kid actors that aren't annoying uh and yeah. do a really good job i think you know um is this macaulay culkin's brother in this one
0: uh, i believe it is yeah. yeah um i can't remember his name i've got it is written it is it rory rory culkin yeah he's yeah. in his 20s now uh well, he's 30s now actually but um yeah, and Abigail Breslin as Bo Hess, the little girl. Uh, also very good um, performances all around. It, it's just one of those films where it deals with the what I think is the most real, what it would be like had it happened to us. Because yeah. you only ever see alien films really from the perspective of... <laughs> Um, the American military, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that 's how they 're made because we always make these films with the idea that we need to know what the president's doing, what the plan is, how our weapons are going to be effective against them, and blah 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 but whereas what Knight does in this, and this is a precursor to what um Spielberg then would do with War of the Worlds, which I think owes a lot of itself to this yeah um it's the idea of well i don't i 'm just a farmer on a farm with my family and oh, I've just seen an alien outside my house and no one knows what to do because, well, why would they? Because there's no contingency for this and people don't even think these aliens are real and then you start finding out that other people in the town have had like there's this bit at the beginning where the police officer says um there's been lots of strange things being reported in the neighborhood um strange people walking around um but people haven't really been able to identify who they are they've been trying to break into people's houses um and the dogs have been going mad like dogs have been running off they've been on edge they've been peeing themselves and it's been really strange you said it's been popping up all over the area and you're like it's creepy, isn't it? It's a really scary really but real is.
1: concept. Yeah, because you, you can imagine sort of being out in in the middle of nowhere in this little sort of mm. rural area. You know, news like that spreads like wildfire and you know, yeah. people am- amp themselves up and then you start seeing things... or oh, the characters start seeing things on telly, don't they, as well? That's, yeah. You don't really see the aliens, but you see... You see little glimpses of them in this in shaky cam footage on telly. Yeah. It, it just sort of builds that suspense so well.
0: It's, yeah, it's so good. And I remember saying to my wife, she, she loves this film as well, and she's always been a fan of it since we first got together, because I remember us talking about it when we were dating. And it's one of those films that if you've seen it when you saw it young and you loved it, you'll probably love it forever. If you watch it as an adult with scepticism, you will think it's daft. But if you can suspend disbelief and, and go into it for what it is. It's such a good movie. And there's like bit at the end where they try to break into the house and you don't really see the aliens because it's not important to see them, but you see evidence of them, like their shadows and yeah. you see like a creepy hand come under the door Then they're trying to break into the house and you can hear them banging on the door. And it just makes the feel of the film so claustrophobic and scary that you feel like, well, we're stuck. We're stuck in the house and there's no one going to help us. What are we going to do? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and it's that idea of the intruder trying to get into the house, trying to harm you and your kids. It becomes about something bigger than the aliens. And obviously then the, the idea that um, the film is based around one kid that leaves water all over the house. And one kid that's got severe asthma Um, were all these things planted because of divine intervention. So God could save them from death or was this just a coincidence? And I, and I think that's, a beautiful, compelling, and interesting ending, which then opens up a conversation when you leave the cinema. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that,
1: it, like you say, it's sold as like an alien invasion film, but it mm. really is sort of a um, a test of someone's beliefs. And because mm. uh, you've got the dad who's who's given up his faith, but the mm. the kid is still heavily religious. Um, yeah. So you think it's a really, really good sort of
0: you know um contrast there um, it's funny like you just said because i've got friends who are very religious and i you know with no disrespect to them i'm not so when i see the film i see a series of events that yeah. are unfortunate to then the twist of the aliens being injured by water. Why the hell they didn't go to earth. would never, ever happen. But <laughs> the idea of alien aside, the idea that the, the glasses of water were placed by the daughter is for me coincidental to the plot of, Oh, they the aliens happen to be injured by water, but she's got loads of glasses of water around the house. That, to me, doesn't mean anything. But to some of my friends, they say, well, no, the film's point is that they're there to show God was helping them the whole time. Yeah. And I, I would argue, that no, they're not. They're just there, and then this so happens to serve the plot at the end, but it's supposed to make... Graham, the main character, think that potentially this is God trying to get in touch with him. Yeah. So it literally just matters on what side of the fence you're on; you get something from it. Absolutely, yeah. It's very much about your own sort of, you know, subjective
1: viewpoint, isn't it? It's. Mm. Uh, it's a wonderful film. It's really well done. Really good film. Definitely deserving of being number one. I think on this list.
0: Yeah, I think I had to put it up there because I've seen it several times, and when I like you, I I went back and rewatched it, and. I will put away things like we were saying earlier about why would an alien get trapped in the cupboard or why would an alien do that? I don't really care about that because that is unlike a lot of these movies. It's, it doesn't serve the story. The story is served by the human characters. The human emotion at the heart of it is the thing that matters. It's, it's, it's Mel Gibson's character and his wife's death and how that has impacted everything in his life and how the family's just struggling to stay together as it is without a global crisis going on which you know echoes kind of what's going on now in the world you know yeah people are tested in their personal lives imagine how much more they're tested when they've got to deal with all this as well um Absolutely. yeah i think it's really good i do think that um knight's um cameo in the film's a bit silly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's it's a bit daft isn't it but i mean i think uh I if if we're if we're ready to move on to the five facts. I've used a couple of them up already, so I might have to fill in some <laughs> the ones that better. No, I'm I, I've fine. Got, you I've got some about about his cameos here. So the um The yeah. Happening is the only film he doesn't cameo in. Which kind of oh, is that right? Yeah, I think it's one of it, it certainly was at the time that the person wrote that fact. I, I'm not sure if obviously I can't remember whether he's done anything in split and glass, but Certainly, uh, certainly at the point where The Happening came out, it was the only film he didn't cameo in, which kind of gives you an idea of how confident he was about the film, maybe. Um, I wonder
0: why, though. I wonder why.
1: Yeah, interesting. I, when you look at some, like, the behind-the-scenes shots, there's lots yeah. of him and Mark Wahlberg just arguing over whether that would actually happen, you know, <laughs> w- whether that, w- whether this scene would make sense or not. It's very, very strange. Uh, very odd film, but yeah. Um, other fa- other facts I found. Uh, he uh completed 45 homemade movies by the age of 17. Um, I think oh. he, uh, before he was 10, he was given a Super 8 uh, video camera, and he'd made 45 home movies by the age of 17. So that's when a great he, fact. When he started sort of building these worlds, and he was already a really experienced filmmaker. Because he'd just been yeah. doing so many, constantly sort of iterating on his uh, things. So th- that was when he was seventeen. In the uh, effectively the three, three or four years between the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs, combined those films grossed over one point three billion dollars worldwide.
0: Wow, that's a great fact.
1: So yeah, I, I love I, I love the fact that those because those were sort of knock it out the park films, each and every one yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were, and, yeah. And they made $1.3 Um I, I mentioned that he adopted the middle name Knight while in college. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And before he was well-known <laughs> for all these suspenseful, supernatural thriller films, uh, the, probably the most famous thing he'd done was he wrote the screenplay for Stuart Little. Ah, that's a good fact. Yeah, so Stuart oh. Little, <laughs> starring Michael J. Fox and Hugh Laurie,
0: is written by M. Night Shyamalan. So, technically, Stuart Little is a a night film. Yeah. Yeah, technically, <laughs> it's a night film. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I'll never ever look at that mouse the same <laughs> way again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, when
0: we say that he's, you know filmography is diverse we're not kidding yeah. no we're really not kidding i did want to give you some information here which i just found so this was based on the happening which again i can't stop talking about because it's just so funny i just want to talk about it um <laughs> really really annoyed it to put it in the top five um it's only 90 minutes long it was budgeted on 48 million dollars and it made 163 back so it was still financially okay um the Wikipedia page for this film, however, isn't very polite. It's only three paragraphs to describe the plot. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I I love the idea
1: that someone just goes in and edits that every day. Every time someone tries to make it a more yeah, detailed yeah, yeah. synopsis, someone just deletes it all and keeps it to be the three paragraphs.
0: In fact, I'm not even gonna. No, actually, I'm gonna. I'm not. have lied to you slightly. It's like two and a half paragraphs because <laughs> the bottom of the third paragraph just says we flashed to three months later. Blah 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 blah. So. That's wow. just the ending. <laughs> it, that might not be a synopsis, Jake. That might just be the script. <laughs> it is. It does. It looks like it, doesn't it? Oh, my God. There's a great There's a great video again on YouTube. If you go on YouTube and just search The Happening Funny, um, where Marky Mark Wahlberg just goes, No! <laughs> <laughs> and he does it a lot, and it's really funny. Uh,
1: Guys... You've got to think about the science. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, is it weird that I can watch a film about dead people, a film about an aliens, and a priest, and a film about an invincible man? But a ma- when Mark Wahlberg is cast as a scientist, I cannot deal with it anymore. <laughs> like, no, I'm out. I- I'm done. This this is it, M Night. We can't we can't
1: speak anymore.
0: Yeah. Oh, so- dear. Knight, if you can hear us, if you ever listen to this episode, we love you, but please don't ever cast Mark Wahlberg as a science teacher because you've really gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's that's it then, James. I think that's that's M. Knight Shyamalan's films in a nutshell. What, by do the franchise. What a great set of films! They really are. It's yeah. so good, isn't it?
1: Yeah, nice and diverse. They don't really tread on each other's toes.
0: No, most of them pretty they- well done. Good film. Yeah, it is. It's true, and I, I, yeah, I can't really say any more than that. Um, I think what we'll do is, as we go in, we'll choose more directors as we go through it, and we'll do another director's cut um, after our next franchise. But what we will be doing is, we'll go back to the normal format next time. Yeah. So you guys will be able to listen to us doing a weekly breakdown of a new franchise, and then we'll try and slot these directors' cut specials in between with a different director each time. And it'd be interesting to see uh, what people vote for as to who we can do next, because that'll be uh, that'll be good. But I thought Knight's a good one to do because he, like you say, the films are so diverse. They are so interesting. Um, and those three, the top three especially, are so successful yeah. that you can't ignore them. And a lot of people will have seen them. And if you haven't, you need to go and see them because they are just, they're just pillars of filmmaking. They're so good. Absolutely. They're fantastic. Right. Thanks for that, James. And I will uh, see you soon. And see everyone else soon. See you later, Jake. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.